Uh, You can turn to Proverbs chapter 14, and we will look at verse 1 together in a moment. Uh, It can be quite satisfying to construct something and see it through to completion. Uh, It's fun to build. Uh, It can also be a lot of fun to destroy things. Uh, You know, a little bit of demolition, maybe some of you don't really enjoy that, but some of you might uh, find a lot of fun in that. Think about how much fun you could have, for example, uh, just with a few explosives, or a little bit of tannerite if you like to shoot things, or if someone gave you the keys to a bulldozer or a wrecking ball, and you just got to go at it. Um, or a sledgehammer, perhaps before remodeling, maybe you want to totally uh, redo your basement and you're just going to destroy everything that's there first because it's all going to be ripped out. Or a lighter. It can be fun to burn things. Uh, demolition can be a lot of fun, but not when it comes to your house and your family. You don't want to be like an explosive, a bulldozer, a wrecking ball, a hammer, or a match in your home because if you are, you're going to damage what you love and what God loves. We've been tracing the use of the word house in the book of Proverbs. And so far over the last two weeks, we've seen that many people poorly construct their homes. But I think we could go a step further and and say that many people actively destroy their homes. Proverbs describes for us what this looks like. Uh, Not only did Solomon teach his son how to build a healthy home, but he also taught him, son, if you want to destroy a house, here's how you do that. Here's how you tear down a house brick by brick. Part of building and maintaining a home is knowing how to protect it from destruction and make sure that you don't destroy what you tried by the grace of God to build. God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. And as we've looked through Proverbs over the last couple weeks, we keep going back to Proverbs 3, verse 33, which says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. And again, I think we just want to be reminded, what is God's disposition towards your home? If you are righteous, as that verse described, meaning that you're a Christian, you're a believer, then God has special love and affection for your home, and he wants to bless it. And God is for you in this great endeavor of home building, and no matter what is going on, and no matter how bad it has become, don't forget God's disposition towards your home. He absolutely loves it. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. If, if you're new with us here today, we've taken the last two weeks and we've looked so far at six pieces of advice uh, for people who want to try to build their homes God's way. And today we're going to look at two more, but want to briefly review where we've been thus far. Uh, the first piece of advice we saw was to make sure that you have God's blessing, meaning that uh, if God blesses the house of the righteous, he blesses the house of the Christian. The foundation point for building a healthy home is actually a relationship with God and knowing that, that, that you are indeed a Christian. And you're in his family. And the second piece of advice was, don't start too soon. And that didn't have anything to do with age. But Solomon told his son, son, you need to make sure that you have your work in the field in order first. And then build your house. You need to have a sense of financial responsibility and ownership in life. And you need to have some ducks in a row. Third piece of advice was to choose whom you build with carefully. You want to build with someone who's also a believer? And who has character? And fourth, we saw was to borrow brains. Solomon's reminding his son, son, if you're going to do this, if you're going to build a household and a family, you need God's wisdom, which is probably something that you don't have as much of as you need. What are you going to do? You're going to go borrow it. You're going to go get it. You're going to go to God and his word and his people and seek out God's wisdom, borrow brains. And number five, was to focus on quality 
Uh, last week we saw that penny-pinching and peace are better than feasting and fighting. If you've got to make a choice between those two options, it would be better to, to cultivate the relationships in your home than throw them all away and have everything financially. And number six was to work hard to pull your load. The, the home is not a place where everybody's just there to serve you. You have a, a responsibility to, to love and sacrificially serve the people of your home. And we come today to number seven and eight, the seventh and eight pieces of advice for builders. Number seven is to keep the elements and the rodents out. The exterior of your literal home is very important. It keeps out what shouldn't be in. Uh, You think about the walls and the siding and the roof of your house. All those things are keeping things like bugs and rodents, rain, moisture, and snow out. You do not want those things in your home. Because they will rot, consume, and destroy your house. So you have to keep them out. And what Solomon's going to do, if I could word it this way, he's going to give his son at least uh, six termites or, or rodents or elements that could get in his house, his family, his household, and destroy it. They'll chew right through the walls of your family and home, and they've got to be kept out lest they destroy it. Now, when I say that about the, the, the termites that need to be kept out of your house and home, your mind might immediately go actually to certain people, certain influences that you need to protect your home and family from. Uh, and, and that would certainly be true. There are these external uh, influences that are dangerous. But that's interestingly not where Solomon is really going to go in these verses that he mentions the house. And protecting it. Actually, what he's going to do is talk about you. He's going to talk about the people in the house. The fact of the matter is, is that you pose the single greatest threat to your house. What actually needs kept out of your home is is the fleshly, nasty parts of you. That's what the termites are. You and I, we are the potential wrecking balls. You could tear your house down brick by brick by brick. So I think we want to ask, well, how is it then? What is it in you? Or what is it that you could do that could destroy your home? How could you tear down what you love? Six termites. The first is folly. I've asked you to turn to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1. And if you're still turning there, uh, as you do, you may recall from one of the previous weeks, Proverbs 24, verse 3 said, By wisdom a house is built. A house is constructed by wisdom. And by understanding, it's established. A house is built with wisdom, and it's destroyed with folly. Proverbs 14, verse 1, if you look there, it says that the wisest of women builds her house. Again, a house is constructed. A family is built by wisdom. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands, tears it down. You can work so hard to build a healthy home and then with your own folly tear it down brick by brick. This very same hands that in love tried to build and construct could be this very same hands that in folly destroy. Proverbs tells us what a fool is like and the types of things that he does. You can tear down a house with all kinds of different forms of folly. Let me just mention a few that show up in the book of Proverbs. Uh, forms of folly. One would be being self-reliant and proud. Proverbs 28, verses 26. I mean, if you are in your home and you go, and like, I, I got this, and I can do all of this, that's dangerous. Or always thinking you're right, Proverbs 12, verse 15. Oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm right. I don't need other people's advice. 
My way's right. Being void of wisdom, lacking it. Proverbs 24, verse 7, being stubborn and obstinate, uh, not listening well to others, the people of your home. They're trying to say things and communicate things to you and express concerns, and you won't listen, or you're saying stupid things or foolish things. Proverbs 15, verse 2, saying everything you think. Proverbs 29, verse 11, it talks about how a fool utters all of his mind. Whatever's in there comes out. Rejecting instruction, being deceived by your own folly, being unable to be corrected. People cannot speak into your life. Your husband or your wife cannot point something out. Your family, your friends, nobody can speak in. Practicing and enjoying sin, lacking self-control. Some of the other forms of folly that show up in Proverbs are disdaining and grieving your parents. God intends for you as a young person to hold your parents in a certain regard. And Proverbs talks about how the fool disdains his parents. And he doesn't listen to his parents. Proverbs 15, verse 5 and 15, verse 20. Uh, have you ever had a pinata or uh, played with one? Uh, there's so much fun, right? I mean, you, you, you blindfold a kid, you spin him around, and you push him towards the pinata with the stick, and he just starts swinging for all, of he's, all he's worth. And kid after kid after kid, and that pinata just takes beating after beating after beating after beating. Um, your home could be like that, like a pinata, taking a continual beating by you and your blind folly, getting pounded and pounded again and again and again until all the goodness falls right out the bottom. That's not God's plan for your home. And so Solomon's warning his son, son, if you, if you live as a foolish man, you're going to wreak havoc on your home. Folly will destroy your home. And so your folly and mine, what should we do with it? Well, God wants us to, to put it away and repent of it. And in its place, put wisdom. Your walk with God in this regard is so important because how do we get wisdom? We get it from God and all of us need more of it. And we need the, the wisdom to drive the folly out. Folly must be displaced by wisdom. So how do you get the folly that is in you out? Well, you do that by pushing the wisdom in. If you were to think of uh, perhaps a jar or a hose that's full of liquid, maybe you think about a hose in particular. If you want to get all the, the gross fluid out of the hose, how do you do that? I mean, you could lift it up and so it all falls out. But one of the things you could do is just hook that hose up to a clean water supply and turn it on and the good is going to push the bad out. And it's much the same with, with folly and wisdom. We all have folly. Uh, we're born with it. And as the wisdom gets piped in and pumped in, it flushes out the folly and it's replaced by wisdom. Also, parents, I think there's uh, a point that should be made here. What your children need more than anything else is the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I, I think that that hopefully is clear and obvious. We pray that God in his sovereignty would perform that saving miracle, that God would save your kids and mine. In humility, we pray those prayers knowing that we cannot save our children. But real transformation can never really occur until that happens. I mean, that is foundational to transformation. And so I don't want you to lose sight of that with what I'm about to say. But here's, here's a fact from God's word. Your children are born with enough folly in them to destroy not just your current, current home, but your future one. You're, you've got enough folly in you to do the same thing. We all do. 
But looking at your kids for a moment, God says they're born wrapped up in all kinds of folly. And Proverbs 22 verse 15 says it this way. It says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I mean, it is in there bound up tight. Enough folly to destroy your home and their future home. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Secular wisdom might call a verse like that unloving towards your child. But what's actually unloving is disregarding a verse like this. You have a clear biblical responsibility here, and God has given you the responsibility to work on untying the tightly bound folly of your child's heart, and he's given you the means to do that. And if we, if we see our kids through the lens that God does, and we see that folly, it is dangerous. And now's the time for it to be lovingly addressed. Second termite is sexual sin. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6, and I want to draw your attention in a moment here to verse 31. In the early chapters of Proverbs, Solomon gives his son an extended warning about sexual immorality and the dangers of the forbidden woman. And in that space, he's also going to talk about God's great plan for marriage and sex within marriage. But he does give several warnings about the dangers when you go outside of God's plan. And as Solomon talks about this forbidden woman, he mentions her quote-unquote house several times and how his son used to steer clear of it. Do not go there, literally or metaphorically. And as we look at this house theme in Proverbs, let's ask this question. What is the consequence on a man's house if he goes to the house, literally or metaphorically, of a forbidden woman and commits sexual sin? And I think this could be addressed to a daughter as well, just in this space of sexual sin. The consequences are many, and Solomon's going to talk about one of, many of them, but I just want to draw your attention to the one that he specifically connects to the house. Proverbs 6 verse 31 says this, but if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his what? His house. This verse highlights the financial consequence that comes upon your house and family for sexual sin. It's like this Solomon says to his son. Let me put a really clear picture in your, in your mind, son. When you go to her house, you hand someone the keys to yours. If you want to commit adultery or sexual sin, you might as well t- literally grab the keys to your house out of, out of your pocket and hand them to a complete stranger on the street before you go into her. Because a stranger is going to take your hard-earned wealth and all of the goods of your house. And Solomon doesn't just say this in Proverbs 6, verse 31. He also says something very similar in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 8 to 10. If you want to cast your eyes over those verses, Solomon says there to his son, again, this warning, keep your way far from her. And here's what he says. He says, lest strangers take their fill of your strength. And then he says, and your labors, all of your hard work, Everything that you've worked to attain, your labors go where? To the house of a foreigner. The goods of your house go to somebody else's house. It's kind of like this. As one example, two married people commit adultery. And often what happens is uh, suddenly you can say hello to legal fees. 
child support, probably major stress that very good chance is going to impact job performance in significant ways, and so on and so forth. Divorce is not pretty, and and one of the things that immorality will likely cost you is the financial wealth of your house. The money that once went to support one household and, and one home and one roof now goes to two. It gets divided up two ways. That is not at all what God intends for the people and the homes that he loves. God says, I have something so much better for you. But you have to follow my plan. Sexual sin will destroy your home. And so I just want to say to you right now, if you're struggling, can I encourage you to humbly seek out God's help and and the help of other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ? If I can help you personally, I want to help you. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. And I think we're lying to ourselves if we go, oh, these types of things are never struggles in church life amongst God's people. They are. They're real struggles. They're common struggles. They're everyday struggles. And they're extremely dangerous. And if you'll humble yourself and say, God, I need your help. And I'm going to seek it out. God will give you his grace. And maybe you sit here and and you've failed. Or right now you are living in sin and, and sexual failure. And maybe right now you're in the the middle of some act of sexual immorality or adultery that's ongoing. You know what? God wants you today to repent and say, God, this is wrong. You're clear. And seek God's forgiveness and go make things right. God loves your home and the restoring powers of his grace are unfathomable. They are unfathomable. A third termite is greed. You can turn to Proverbs chapter 15 with me. In verse 27. Greed obviously is a vice and it will hurt your house. It's particularly dangerous if you are greedy to gain in unjust, unethical, unfair, or unequitable ways. Proverbs chapter 15. Join me in verse 27. Solomon writes there, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. But he who hates bribes will live. You want to hurt and harm your family, Solomon says to his son, then hurt and harm other people financially. There's a direct correlation. Be shady in business. Rip people off. Steal. Harm other people to gain their wealth. And if you do that, you will hurt your family. It's like a boomerang. You throw that thing out and it's going to come back and smack you in the face and your family. Sooner or later, your family will pay the price and your reputation will hang as a dark cloud over your family. It's a, it's a bit of the guilt by association. Or if, if you are going about things in unbiblical ways and unethical ways and unlawful things, all unlawful ways, you could lose your employment. You might find yourself unemployable And that's going to impact your family. If in the process you have broken laws, your trouble with the law will impact your family on the extreme side if you ended up doing something like jail time or this gets exposed and now you're in great debt, you swindled people and now it's all coming back on you. The cost of restitution, what you do impacts other people, especially those closest to you. Remember the Old Testament story of Achan? And he's sitting there and, and God's given these commands to Israel and said, as you go take the land, this is what it looks, needs to look like. Don't take this, don't take that, destroy it all. And Achan has different plans. 
He coveted and took something that God did not intend for him to have, and he took it in a way that God did not intend for him to take it. Who paid the price for Achan's sin and his choices? Well, obviously, Achan did. But so did his family. Achan and his whole family ended up being stoned by Israel. Greed will destroy your home. And the answer to it really is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his saving, transforming grace in your heart. And repentance involves making full restitution anywhere you've done wrong. When Jesus saved Zacchaeus, remember the story of Zacchaeus? I mean, he's been greedy. He's a tax collector. He's swindled and wronged all kinds of people. And what happens when the gospel reaches Zacchaeus and he's born again? Well, God transforms his heart. He, he's never that same greedy man again. But he also, he goes back to all these people that he's wronged and he's sinned against and he makes it right and more than right. That's what God wants. The fourth termite is returning evil for good. Turn to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 13. And here Solomon is going to warn his son about doing wrong to people who have done right by you. They've done you good. They've blessed you. They've helped you. And you return it with evil. Solomon is referring, he's going to refer really to acts of gross, gross, gross ingratitude. When you should be thanking someone, instead you do them wrong. Look at Proverbs 17 verse 13. If anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. If you return evil for good, here's the picture Solomon gives his son, and it's a very vivid, distinct picture. If you return evil for good, evil will become like a house guest that you cannot get out the door. You cannot get rid of them. Have you ever had a guest uh, like this that you just couldn't quite get out the door of your home. I mean, maybe it was me, so don't answer that question. Um, But you know how it is. I mean, the clock just keeps ticking, and it's like, man, it's like midnight, one o'clock. I got to get up at six o'clock tomorrow morning and go to work. (laughs) Come on. And you kind of let the conversation die, and then you let it die again, and you stand up, and you sort of move towards the door, and this is great. I'm so glad we're hanging out. They're not reading the social cues. The clock, clock keeps ticking, and God is saying in these verses, if you return evil for good, evil will be like that guest that you just cannot get out the door. You cannot get them out out of your home. You cannot get them to leave. And what Solomon is talking about here, I think it's helpful to remember that what he's talking about here is extremely close to home. Because Solomon and his own family knew this all too well. Their family had lived this firsthand. Solomon's dad and mom, who were they? His dad was King David, and his mom was Bathsheba. And David and Bathsheba did this very thing. There was a good man, his name was Uriah. And we see his goodness, he's out risking his life, fighting King David's battles. He's doing David good. Uriah did David good, and David, in response, did Uriah dirty. David takes Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. As Uriah's out risking his life, David snags his wife. And when she becomes pregnant, 
all in this big effort to cover up what he had done and his sin and make it look like everything he did was good and kosher and all the rest, David ends up sending Uriah to the very front of the battle and having the whole army retreat on him and just have the guy killed. David took this man's wife and had him killed. He was a good, good man. And what happens as the story continues is that the Lord sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to David and he sends him with a message and part of that message goes something like this. David, listen, there is a guest who's coming to your house. His name is evil and he is not going to leave. Listen to Nathan's words. This comes from 2 Samuel 12, verses 10 and following. Nathan said to David, the sword shall never depart from where? Your house. And I will raise up evil against you out of where? Your own house. What a mess. Returning evil for good will destroy your home. And I just gave you what I would consider to be a relatively extreme example of that. And you and I might find ourselves and our thoughts going something like this. Oh, you know, like, I don't, do that kind of thing. That is terrible. That is awful. I don't do that kind of thing. I'm not that kind of person. I don't think this verse is talking about me. And I just want to probe a little bit and ask, well, are you, are you sure? Who are the, some, of, some of the people who have literally done you personally the greatest good? And how have you repaid them? Well, why don't we start first with your God? And ask this question, what good has he done you? Oh, he gave you everything. He gave you his son. He died for you. He died for your sins. He gave you life. He, he, he set you free from the wrath of God that was going to be poured out on you for all of eternity. And how do we respond? Well, when we take all of that for granted and we go, well, I still want my sin. Is that not a form of returning evil for good? What about your own spouse and the good that they have done for you? And some of you may sit here and your spouse has really done you wrong. But many of you sit here and your spouse has done you a lot of good. They have done you so much good. And what is that being met with? Your parents. What good have they done you? Well, I mean, we could start from like before the day you were even born. And your mother carrying you around for nine months and pain and agony and difficulty and then you being born. And all those early nights where mom and dad didn't get much sleep and all the, the, the financial sacrifices they made to feed and clothe you and provide you with education and experiences and all the rest. And, and when the response is, mom and dad, like I'm not listening to them, holding them in low regard, what do you think that is? That's returning evil for good. Don't expect God's blessing on your home and your family and your household and the place where you live if you're returning evil for good. And number five, another termite here is causing trouble. Turn to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 29. Uh, more than once, Proverbs warns of troubling your house. That's the language that's used. And to trouble your house basically carries the idea of bringing hurt disaster or harm upon your house, then there are endless ways that you and I can do that. And when you do, it will create great distance between you and your family members that will sometimes show up in shocking ways. Shocking ways. 
For example, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 29 says this, whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. To inherit the wind is to inherit something that you can't actually grasp, you can't actually hold on to, you can't actually get. The idea is that the one who makes life difficult for his family will be cut out of the inheritance, disinherited. That's, what's described in this verse is a huge rift in a family. Harming your family often creates massive chasms and gulfs. Uh, if you want to destroy your home and your family, do something that's going to really hurt them and really cause a rift. Find a way to stick a knife just right into your family's gut and turn it. That's what Solomon is talking about. And again, so much of this is close to home in Solomon and David's household. You remember Absalom and what he did and his stepsister and how he went and defiled her? Oh man, what a family rift that followed that. And the fallout was huge. Causing trouble will destroy your home. And if you've done this in some way, maybe you have. What does God want you to do? Go remedy it. Own it. If you've sinned against your family and you've done someone wrong, and maybe it was 20 years in the past, and it's never been reconciled, it's never been made right, go make it right. If you have sinned, make it right. And finally, number six is pride. Turn to Proverbs 15, verse 25. If you really want to wreak havoc on your home and you want to tear it down one brick at a time, Solomon says to his son, there's one really simple, easy way to do it. And it's called pride. In fact, if you're proud, God will tear down your home. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 25 says this, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundary. There's a distinctive element or characteristic of pride in this verse that we might not always think of, but I want to point it out to you because I think once I do, you'll be like, oh yes, that's exactly how pride is. The characteristic is that pride exploits other people. Pride in all of its forms snatches from other people. It devours and it takes. In this verse, it's the widow who is the prey of the proud. And this verse is highlighting the the proud's oppressive and devouring nature. She's threatened by him that he would come and take what's hers. Pride just takes, 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 and takes from other people. So, So here's how this works. Are you too proud to listen to your husband or wife? Too proud to hear what that other person is saying? Or your brother or your sister? Or your mom or your dad? Are you too proud to receive correction from other people or advice? People can speak into your life and it's just like speaking to a wall. Or too proud to get help. I don't need help. No, I'm not going to humble myself and get that. Or too proud to acknowledge your sin. Too proud to own your sin. Too proud after you've sinned to go look someone else in the eyes and say, I sinned against you. And that was wrong. And I can see how that hurt you. Will you please forgive me? If you are proud, 
Here's what's happening. You're devouring people. Probably the people closest to you, and there's more than likely a train of victims in your wake. God's not going to bless that. And, and probably the fact of the matter is all of us have pride. And we're in this process of God driving that out of us. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he maintains the widow's boundaries. You are effectively destroying your home, marriage, and family if you stand there in pride. Where my wife grew up, termites are really a common problem. Many people, uh, actually, in order to protect their homes from termites, many people have little termite bait and monitoring systems in the ground around the perimeter of their home. And what those look like, they're often just uh, little tubes that go down to the ground a bit. They've got a little piece of wood in the tube. And the termites find that first oftentimes and can be dealt with. Why do people do that? Well, because if the termites get in, they will literally start chewing through the walls of your house. I mean, termites are teeny tiny little insects. But they can destroy an entire house. And so the bait and monitoring systems allow you to deal with the termites before they ever really become a problem. You need to proactively deal with the termites that could destroy your home. And we've all got them. And we're all, we're all in the thick of the battle. There's more than enough in all of us to destroy our homes. And yet we have a God who says, I want to bless your home. I want to pour out my blessing on your home, but you have to follow my plan. You've got to fight to keep the elements and the rodents out, and if you just want to let them all in, because that's how you want to live, it doesn't end well. What if they're already in? What do you do when you see problems with your home, like the things that we've just been talking about? And I want to end with an eighth piece of advice for builders And that is to make repairs in a timely fashion. This is just, I think, a logical application of all that we've just seen in Proverbs 15, verse 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he maintains the widow's boundaries. That means that you need to humble yourself before the Lord and address whatever's troubling your house. If you notice a problem with your house, and with you in particular... Um, well, let's just talk a moment about your literal house. If you see a problem, let's say that the roof is starting to leak. The sooner that you deal with that problem, the better. If you catch it and you deal with it right away, there's a good chance that the damage is going to be minimal. It can be patched up. It can be repaired and taken care of. But if you don't catch it or you do catch it and you go, I don't care or I don't have time or you don't deal with it, you ignore it, it's going to get worse. Then the damage will probably grow and grow and compound and compound. And as it does so, dealing with it also becomes exponentially more complicated. When it comes to sin and problems in your family and home and in you, what does God want you to do? He wants you to make repairs and corrections in a timely fashion. We saw that a little bit last week as we jumped into the book of Ephesians briefly that, that don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The day of your problems is the day that you deal with it. It's never too late to try to do that. And if, it, if the problems become more complicated, it might take a whole lot more work, but it'll be worth it and it's the right thing to do. So what do you need to do when when you mess up and when you sin? And trust me, you're going to do that. And so am I. All of us are. And and it's so frustrating. You're like, why? I, I just wish I didn't do these sorts of things. 
but we do and we're sinful and it's the grace of God and the gospel working through us to change us and grow us, but we're in this process. And along the way, when we blow it, what should we do? We should humbly recognize it and not sit there and go, no, I'm not a sinner. I don't really have problems. It's not that big of a deal. No, it's a humbly, I do have problems. And I'm personally probably the single greatest threat to this household and to this family. And to humbly recognize that and to remedy it, to fall on your face before the Lord and say, God, I have sinned and I, I, I am acting in folly or whatever the case may be, would you forgive me? And would you give me your wisdom and would you give me your grace and go to other people and make things right and then humbly seek to keep building by the grace of God. What's so awesome about the gospel is in so many places in scripture, you see problem after problem after problem. You see people, Christians, the Israelites, blowing so many things up. And you see when there's humble repentance, you see the grace of God. And I can give example of example after that. I think about the book of Joel and God's judgment comes on his people and locusts just come in and devour everything. And there's a, a really sweet, precious verse in the middle of the book of Joel about God restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. The gospel is full of grace. But that grace, God, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. Make repairs in a timely fashion while you still can. I want to conclude by reading Proverbs 3, verse 33, one more time. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. May God bless our homes and by his grace, may we not just uh, be positionally righteous in Christ, but practically may we grow in our living out what our position in Christ is and living in ways that are pleasing to him. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes at this time? I'm going to take the next few moments here and, and just give you some time to respond to God's word. Um, we looked at a lot of texts that I think are sobering and kind of get straight to the heart of where we live. And um, I think it, it can just oh, be like, wow, that's a lot there. And I've got a lot of struggles. <laughs> and I think it's just a good time to put those before the Lord again. And you come before the Lord in your frailty. Seek forgiveness where you need to. Seek his grace. You just take these next few moments and uh, you speak to the Lord however God may be leading you. And here in a few moments, I will pray as well.